Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. A bus slams into a home. If I slept in, I would be dead. A close call for the resident and nearly a dozen high schoolers sent to hospital. The B.C. Greens boot their deputy leader. We do not tolerate, as a party, any hateful rhetoric. While the provincial conservatives step up their attacks on B.C.'s top doctor. Plus, the Stanley Park Christmas train gets back on track with overwhelming demand for tickets. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. What a shocking start to the day for a busload of high school kids and one resident when the bus collided with a car and then smashed into a house. Amazingly, there were no serious injuries, but as Janet Brown shows us, it could have been much worse. If I was home, I would be dead. It literally is on my bed right now. You seen it? Adrian Striga was at work when this school bus crashed through his suite in this house at Canada Way and 16th Avenue in Burnaby just before 8 a.m. The bus drove right into my bedroom. All my stuff is totaled, my TV, my clothes, everything. Burnaby RCMP say the school bus with 11 high school students on board and a car collided at the intersection beside the house. The cause is under investigation. Anytime you have children involved uh, that are just going to school, uh, it heightens it a bit, right? We all have kids and they're all, you know, hopefully getting to school on time and, and safe. Perhaps the seat belts on board the bus prevented more serious injuries. The students were sent to hospital in stable condition, and luckily the bus narrowly missed a gas meter. The bus involved in the crash belongs to the Kelsa School here in Surrey. We are told the bus was picking up students in the Burnaby New Westminster area this morning just before 8 a.m. and bringing the students to classes here when the crash took place. I went inside and seen my TV flew out of my bedroom into my living room and bounced off the drywall. Another resident of the house who was home at the time described to Striga what he heard. He said the whole house shook. He heard uh, a honk. He heard a screech and then he heard a bang going through the retaining wall and then a bang going through the house. RCMP say the bus will be examined for any mechanical problems once it's removed from the house. Striga's family has launched an online fundraising campaign to help him replace what he's lost. But with nowhere to live now, he is still trying to stay positive. The most damage is just on the property and the vehicles. Everyone else is safe, including the children and myself. Janet Brown, Global News. A mother is making a heartfelt plea for information in her son's killing. 21-year-old Joel Zimbalati was fatally shot in Sparwood in October. As Kristen Robinson reports, there is one compelling clue that includes a person of interest who may have been the last person to see her son alive. I guess you could say I'm feeling kind of faded. Ha! Get it, Eli? Joel Zimbalati's beloved dog with him when he died. Always smiling, always with his dog. He loved that dog. He loved it like a child. According to his mother, who's now taking care of Eli. Joel loved to make people laugh. 
He was always joking around. He was always pulling pranks. Tony Zimbaletti says her 21-year-old son had his whole life ahead of him before he was fatally shot on October 11th at his home in Little Acres Trailer Park in Sparwood, discovered by a neighbor who considered him family. The gunshot, finding my little brother, the panic, having to call his mother and tell her about what I found, it hurts. It's been a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. One man arrested outside the trailer was released without charges, according to RCMP, who are searching for a second mystery man known as Slim, who they say was also present when Zimbaladi was shot. He was staying with Joel for a little bit. I never met him. I don't know his real name. It's unclear how Zimbalati, who had no criminal record in B.C., met Slim. Tony is pleading for anyone with information on the tall and skinny person of interest to come forward. RCMP say Slim was last seen near Kimberley on October 12th and has ties to the Okanagan. Slim is the last person to see my son alive and he has answers. He knows what happened. It's so hard to sit here in limbo. It kills me, you know, I need to know what happened to my son. RCMP say the lead investigator on the case was away Thursday and they were unable to say whether Zimbaladi's death is believed to be random or targeted or if they have any leads on Slim. Joel was an amazing human being. He didn't get a chance. His candle was snuffed out far too soon. He doesn't deserve this. Kristen Robinson, Global News. One man is in hospital after an early morning shooting on the downtown east side near Chinatown. It happened in front of the Arco Hotel on Pender near Abbott Street around 1 o'clock this morning. The victim is a man in his 30s. Police are looking for a suspect or suspects, and they are still investigating to try to determine what the motive for the attack was. One resident of the area says he heard six shots. Major changes are coming to ambulance services in dozens of rural communities. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the province is promising improvements after a number of complaints about long waits and critical staffing shortages. Every time a siren sounds, it's responding to someone in need of help. But all too often, the calls are going unanswered. And in rural and remote communities throughout the province, staffing is usually to blame. From McKenzie to McBride to Alexis Creek to Clinton to Gold River to Gabriola Island. On Thursday, the B.C. government announced changes to the ambulance paramedic staffing models in 60 communities adding 272 full-time positions. In other words, a massive, unprecedented investment in healthcare in rural BC. 21 communities will now be on an alpha model, providing more reliable 24-7 emergency response service, increasing the hours paramedics are on duty by three times. 25 communities will move to a mixed shift model, providing staffing with more flexibility that would double the time on duty. And 14 communities will move to a kilo model, providing a full-time permanent unit chief. Meeting with staff, with communities and getting their feedback has been key to this process and we will continue to engage as we work to implement these models. But recruiting into these remote communities has always been a challenge. The hope is rolling out the new models will not only improve service, but provide paramedics with better shift flexibility, 
creating a better work-life balance. It provides meaningful work and a meaningful income for families, so I think it'll substantially help with our uh, recruitment and retention of paramedics in remote BC. The community of Mackenzie, located two hours north of Prince George, is counting on it. These changes means it will go from just three part-time positions to eight full-time equivalent employees. This is certainly going to improve the safety of the people in this community, and, and that is council's number one priority. The changes will replace the existing schedule on call system, which required paramedics to work 72 hours straight. The new models will come into effect immediately. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The deputy leader of the Green Party has resigned after liking a disparaging tweet about provincial health officer Dr. Bonnie Henry. Meanwhile, the B.C. Conservative Party rallied outside the legislature, calling for Dr. Henry to be fired. Richard Zussman has the details. He was once the Green Star candidate, and now Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi is out. It's not okay to make uh, personal attacks on people, and that is why Dr. Gandhi has submitted his resignation. Dr. Gandhi was the Green's deputy leader, focusing on health care, and was set to run against Adrian Dix in the next provincial election. The resignation comes following a series of social media events, including Gandhi liking a tweet criticizing the province and reading and the horrid BC NDP and by Queen Bonnie's Mengele Henry. Mengele, a Nazi, was known as the Angel of Death. When this was brought to my attention, um, it was very clear that Dr. Yandy had to submit his resignation. I think the comments that were um, liked were repugnant and reprehensible, and I think it's the correct decision um, her to fire uh, her deputy leader. Gandhi apologizing, stating liking the tweet was done by mistake and acknowledging staying in the party would be a distraction. We can be passionate and aggressive in criticizing the government, a statement reads, but personal attacks are categorically wrong, as was my misplaced like. The Greens have been critical of Dr. Henry, questioning her decision to lift restrictions. Leader Sonia Furstenau even going as far as calling her a gaslighter. I think we need transparency and accountability from public service. And it's not just the Greens criticizing Dr. Bonnie Henry. The BC Conservative Party thinks she should be fired, holding a rally on Thursday where a number of speakers spoke out against the mandate for healthcare workers to be vaccinated. Quite frankly, Bonnie Henry is preventing those people from being in our system. That is causing a harm to our healthcare system. And for that reason, uh, you know, I think quite frankly, we should be looking at a different healthcare officer. BC is the only jurisdiction in Canada with a vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. Health Minister Adrian Dick says the mandate and Dr. Henry aren't going anywhere. Dr. Henry is an outstanding scientist and an outstanding leader. And Dix will be standing side by side with Henry Friday when they provide an update to the province's respiratory season response. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And we'll bring in Keith Baldry now with more from the legislature. Keith, since its founding, the Green Party's signature issues were mm -hmm. environmental, but obviously based on recent events, it's evolving. What is the party's former leader saying about that? Yeah, very interesting. So Andrew Weaver, the former leader before Sonia Fersenau, basically put the B.C. Green Party on the map, getting elected in 2013 and then forging an alliance with the NDP in 2017 to allow the NDP to be in power. So Weaver, a major figure in the party, has really broken ranks with him. He considers the party now to shift away from its roots, very much focused in recent couple of years attacking public health. They don't like the public health measures under Dr. Bonnie Henry, very critical of them. And in his mind, today's or yesterday's event, firing Dr. Gandhi, just another... 
a reason why he now considers it to be nothing more than a fringe party. Here's the former leader. I've been um, a little bit saddened to watch the BC Greens' behaviour of late. Um, it seems that they're getting behind fringe issues and leaving kind of the bread and butter mainstream issues for which they're known on the sideline. I wouldn't be surprised to be, see the party wiped out in the next election because I don't know what they stand for anymore. And I'm not, sh not sure others do, except for extreme views of extreme people. That wouldn't take a lot to wipe the BC Greens out uh, come the next election, as Mr. Weaver's predicting. They only have two seats right now. They are trailing far behind in the polls. The last couple polls have them well behind the BC United and the BC Conservatives, let alone the ruling NDP. So clearly, uh, the road ahead is, could be a very rocky one for the Green Party, uh, as a, again, as a result of just the turmoil that occurred last night. We've got about 11 months to ponder all of that, too, don't we? Yeah, yeah thanks exactly. very much, Keith. Well, it is obvious there's huge excitement for the Stanley Park train and bright nights this year. Tickets went on sale this morning and sold out in less than two hours. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, many people hopeful to get tickets for the holidays were left disappointed. Firefighters busy on their day off, making sure bright nights is ready to go for its 26th season. While the display will be, as always, completely free, there is concern fewer people than expected this year will get a chance to see the popular light display. A lack of train ticket availability means that not everyone who wants to go will go. The Stanley Park train's back, baby. It's going to be awesome. The mayor of Vancouver made a big splash this week by announcing the return of the Christmas train. As soon as ticket sales went live, demand overloaded the system and the website ground to a halt. Bright Nights will run from November 30th through January 1st, and despite so many opportunities, people across Metro Vancouver were having difficulties logging on and securing their tickets. When I went to the date that I was looking for, even though the time slots would say like 60 or 50% sold, it was impossible to load a ticket. Hopefully ShowPass takes this as an opportunity to improve their website, or, or perhaps something as popular as the Stanley Park Christmas train maybe shouldn't be on some Mickey Mouse website selling tickets. The demand is certainly there. 23,000 tickets sold out in just about 90 minutes Thursday morning. According to the park board, only one of four engines will be in service this holiday season and there are only so many tickets that can be sold. We're trying to fix the other ones as quickly as possible, but it was important for us to get something out there uh, that was workable and safe so people could enjoy it. And so that's what we did. More to come on the rest. The park board says there may be an opportunity for additional carriages to be ready in time for the event, which will mean more seats. The Firefighters Burn Fund says the train is only part of the free fundraising event. It went ahead last year without the train, raising about half of what it normally does. This year, more people should equal more donations. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And resellers seem to be taking advantage of the high demand already. We found tickets listed on Craigslist for $50 each when the highest price ticket is only about $15. So obviously that's a huge markup. The new trend that will make you want to avoid a fender bender at all costs. Sadly, I say I, I, cannot, I cannot book you in at this time. Why so many customers are being turned away or told to wait months for repair work. Next on the News Hour. Most of the people that I know only got wait lists. 
the hottest ticket in town. How many of you got lucky on the pre-sale draw for Taylor Swift coming up? Plus, the common chemical blamed for killing spawning salmon in a West Vancouver stream. We'll have that story for you, too. Right now, though, auto body shops across the Lower Mainland are busier than ever, and it's not just because more people are back on the roads. Everything from recruiting new staff to ongoing supply chain issues are creating massive, months-long backlogs at repair shops. Catherine Urquhart reports. Do the rear nice, eh? All that's coming off. At CSN Cosmos Auto Body in Vancouver, Joseph Mahesh keeps a close watch on auto repairs. Probably three. For about 20 years, they've been an ICBC accredited body shop. Like many shops, they're busier than ever. The wait time, about two months. We've never been this far before. After the pandemic, it's slowly built up. And uh, now this is the worst it's been. Months-long delays for bodywork are being reported around the province. Some are choosing to pay out of pocket for work at non-accredited shops, then seek reimbursement. Others are queuing up, like Michelle Isaac, who just got her car fixed. About two months to get that repair, and I was fine because my car was drivable. If it wasn't, then I would be in a pickle. Mahesh says the delays are due to shortages of parts and staff, notably body techs. We're losing people because the rent is high, they need to get paid more. ICBC is urging motorists to get loss-of-use coverage. That way you'll have a rental if your vehicle isn't drivable. Mahesh says most shops are doing what they can for customers. We're trying, we're trying our best. And with delays expected to continue, those in need of repairs may also wish to pack some patience. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Operation Red Nose is launching its yearly campaign here in B.C., offering people a safe ride home over the upcoming holidays. Members of the group, as well as police and ICBC, were on hand at the Royal Canadian Legion in Burnaby this morning. Operation Red Nose volunteers typically work in three-person teams. When they're called, they pick up someone who might be impaired and get them safely to their destination bringing their car along with them. Organizers hope more people will use the service now that holiday parties are starting back up after the pandemic. I think COVID, uh, it just is taking a while to get the Christmas parties back going again with the um, companies and people going out again. So hopefully this year with the increase of that and people feeling more comfortable to get out, we will uh, have an increase in our numbers definitely. Uh, we have officers on the road day and night, uh, especially this time of year, looking for impaired drivers. Uh, there's more people on the road uh, that might have had a few drinks because it's that time of year people are getting together. All donations to Operation Red Nose help support youth initiatives and amateur sport. Straight ahead, living a magical life. So my dad was uh, William Graham Farquhar. The fourth generation illusionist inspiring a new generation of magicians coming up later. Plus, the Taylor Swift ticket lottery that leaves a lot of fans disappointed. Still ahead. For the hundreds of thousands of people caught up in the conflict between Israel and Hamas, a small breakthrough today with Israel agreeing to a daily pause in the bombardment of Gaza. World leaders are in Paris for an international humanitarian conference 
to figure out how desperately needed aid can get to the region. Reggie Cicchini has the latest. In the blink of an eye, Israel's army says it killed the head of Hamas's anti-tank missile unit as the IDF maintains its presence in northern Gaza, weakening the militant group's hold on this region. It's not operation, it's a war. It's going to last time. It's going to take its time. That keeps in motion Israel's goal of eliminating a threat, but it also keeps in harm's way vulnerable civilians. And it's that humanitarian crisis that's once again brought leaders face to face, meeting in Paris to determine how to ramp up aid for Gazans. The volume of aid coming in through Rafah blatantly is inadequate. It must be complemented by the private sector and the restoration of municipal services like water and waste management. Despite Israel not being invited to the table, a glimmer of hope did emerge on the battlefield. With the U.S. announcing Israel has agreed to a daily four-hour pause in fighting. But the White House is pessimistic on the chances of this becoming a ceasefire. Outside of the four hours remains the realities of this conflict. The Palestinian Health Ministry says most hospitals are now inoperable and remain under constant threat, leaving Egyptian ambulances to attempt entry to retrieve the wounded. These are the gates to a living nightmare. The UN rights chief says both sides have committed war crimes, given the impacts on civilians, including hundreds of hostages. A plan for their release is still elusive, and there are calls for longer pauses than the Daily One announced. There's also mounting frustrations at the White House that Israel's prime minister is not listening. Take a little longer than I hope. And in a conflict with no end in sight, time is the one commodity in short supply. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. In Canadian labor, Ottawa has tabled a bill that would ban replacement or so-called scab workers during job action in federally regulated sectors. If it becomes law, the only exception to the bill would apply in situations where there are threats to health and safety or threats of serious property and environmental damage that couldn't be managed by the employer's existing workforce. If union workers believe an employer is using replacement workers in a way beyond the exception, it can file a complaint with the Canada Industrial Relations Board, which will investigate the issue. All right, time for a check on weather and sometimes ancient wisdom is a way to look at red sky in the morning, sailor's warning. That's right. So weather, folklore, but there's actually scientific reason behind it. And we had so many photos this morning because, yes, we had a red sky this morning. Thank you to everyone who shared photos with us. So I thought I'd give you a quick explanation as to how that occurs. Well, here's a look. It has to do with the perspective where you stand compared to the sun rising. So the sun rises in the east and across the south coast. We generally get storms that move from west to east. So the storm would be moving in from the west sailors take warning in the morning and it's the sun's light that actually gets reflected off the storm and as the, it travels through the sky it actually disperses or scatters some of its colors by the time it reaches your eye it's generally red the opposite occurs at night sailors delight because the sun is setting towards the west and if it's a delight it means that the storm is moving out so the sun's light gets reflected off of the storm moving out of the area and that's when we finally get the, the red skies at night 
night. So yeah, need to have a scientific reason behind that. Now here's a look at the storm that we saw move in today. And yes, it moved right across the province, bringing rain, wind and rain to our region later in the day. It brings snow though for these areas as the next system drives in. 20 to 30 centimeters is possible tomorrow night into Sunday morning, and that's right when everyone's going to be traveling. So here's a look. There's that next system driving in for Metro Vancouver. It will be mostly dry during the day, but we'll certainly see it develop late afternoon, and look of it spreading all across the southern regions. Lower down, we're talking about just rainfall, but certainly the mountain passes will see snowfall, and that includes the Coquihalla. So wind and rain for the north and central coast tomorrow, mostly dry in these areas. That uh, snowfall or shower is going to push out. For our region, though, we are expecting periods of rain, especially across Vancouver Island. Earlier in the day for our region, though, we'll see it towards the afternoon, particularly late afternoon, evening hours. So wet and windy for your th uh, Friday evening, and then we still have a little bit of rain in store for us on Saturday. Tonight, center windows, weather window, another beautiful shot of Ma Mount Baker with that beautiful reddish-orange sky. Thank you to Romy for that one. Chris, back to you. Photographers, yeah, photographers having a field day with the sky <laughs> over the... Last yeah. 12 hours. Beautiful yeah. photos. Thanks very My much. My poppy Christy. fell off on the way down. Oh, no. I will pick it up. I think, okay, it yeah, on. you got it. Okay, we, so we the Canucks Go ahead. can't stop winning. Just can't. <laughs> Even when they don't have a good game. I mean, they were good enough to win tonight. It wasn't their best game, but they still won. Over Ottawa, we'll show you what happened. All right, sounds good. Also tonight. Well, that's kind of cool. Look at that. That looks like an S-O-P-H-I-E. How to make Sophie suddenly appear. Oh, she's going to hate that she missed this one. A feature on an amazing magician coming up. Scott Sports, strong start, strong finish for the Canucks. That is true. Doesn't matter what happens in the middle, mm -hmm. as long as you end well. Um, <laughs> the Vancouver Canucks have not lost a game in regulation, I think, since Tampa on October 19th. Uh, after that, it's been eight regulation wins and one overtime loss to the Rangers. It all continued tonight against Ottawa, 5-2. This is a road game. Starts a three-game trip out east. The uh, score really doesn't give you a good idea of what happened. The Canucks didn't have a lot of shots, officially 16. They didn't play their best game, but... The one thing aside from scoring a lot of goals so far this season is Vancouver pays a lot of attention to the details. You rarely see them out of position this year, especially in their own end. It's not river hockey, as Rick Tockett likes to call it. Now it's on the Toronto for a game on Saturday, then they'll go to Montreal. And tonight Elias Pettersson kept his hands firmly on the Art Ross Trophy with another three-point game. And Philip Aronik's been adding up the assists as well. Eight straight games now with at least one assist. Fifteen seconds into the game, Brock Besser's shot is stopped by Anton Forsberg, but his mitt is crossed the line. So that's a goal. They didn't know it right away when they went to the first faceoff. They realized, hey, that's in. So it wound the clock back to 15 seconds in, and it was 1-0 Vancouver. Then Ilya Mikheyev scores to make it 2-0 for the Canucks. McKayev had a good game. He could have had a huge game had he scored on this breakaway. No. Forsberg makes the save to keep it 2-0. Then Ian Cole has trouble with the puck here. It was bouncing around a lot tonight. The ice didn't look very good in Ottawa. Guys were falling down, puck bouncing all over the place. That's uh, Drake Batherson making it 2-1. Casey DeSmith was in goal tonight. Casey DeSmith has gotten a point for the Canucks in every game he's played. 
He's only lost once, and that was in overtime. And then Artem Zub with the weird goal ties it. This actually goes in off Elias Pedersen, as you can see by Pedersen's reaction. That does not count in the overall scoring race, but he'll get his points after that, don't worry. Casey DeSmith gives it away. And Matthew Highmore, again, the puck bouncing around. He couldn't get a shot away, so it stays 2-2. And how about Brady Kachuk? How did that not go in? And that seemed to turn the tide back in the Canucks' favor. Because shortly after that, JT Miller just unleashes one from the forward tees. And this would make it 3-2. And then in the third period, the Canucks... Did in many ways what they did to Dallas in the third period, although they added goals this time. This is Mikheyev, not off his stick, off his foot. It's not a distinct kicking motion. So that's a good goal. That's a good bingo. And that's another point for Elias Pettersson. And Pettersson would get a goal on a power play here. Watch this. Miller, Hughes, Pettersson, red light. Like, that's how you draw it up on the whiteboard. It rarely happens the way you draw it up on the whiteboard. But it did there. And the Canucks win it 5-2 in another win for Casey DeSmith, who played well in this game. All right. We all know the BC Lions had their Grey Cup dreams ruined in Winnipeg last year. And this year, it'll be Winnipeg again, where the dream is either ruined or realized. BC did beat the Bombers in Winnipeg, but that was very early in the season. The Lions got on their charter jet a couple of hours ago, flew off to Manitoba. But before they left, Barry stood in front of the plane on the tarmac until they'd send someone else, someone outside to talk to him. Well, the Lions are uh, literally ready to uh, fly to Winnipeg for their Western final on Saturday against uh, the Blue Bombers. Take one, Mizell joins me. It feels like football weather. It's raining. It's a little chilly. Uh, what's the excitement level right now for you just as you're ready to hop the plane? I'm so excited. Just like we were talking about earlier, I felt like I was just in Kamloops, you know, not too long ago. And now I'm suiting up to get ready for the Western finals. It's such a blessing. You know, I'm so fortunate to be in this position. So, you know, we too excited for this moment. About a three-hour flight to Winnipeg. Game time's still 48 hours away. I know you guys do lots of homework. What, what do you do on the flight? Do you just relax, talk with your teammates, or do you get right into video? What do you usually do? Um, so I pretty much just listen to, like, some chill music. I be too fired up, so I like to maybe listen to, like, some R&B to chill me out for a little bit and say the excitement for the game. So once game time come, I be pumped up. You know, I would, never thought I'd say this, but going to Winnipeg in November sounds like a good thing to do. Do you think there's an extra seat on that plane? Can no, I come? for sure. Yeah. We, I'm pretty sure we got a lot of room. You can come on and join us, though. Awesome. It looks like I'm going to Winnipeg. Sure. Squire, phone Katie and tell her I'll be home Sunday. <laughs> but we're going to follow the Lions, and uh, hopefully they will qualify for their first Grey Cup since 2011. Yes, Back sir. to you. Why don't you phone Katie? You explain it to her. Why should I explain <laughs> it to her? All right. Canada gains Poland at the Billie Jean King Cup, and uh, Marina Stakuzic, 18-year-old from Toronto, had a tough match against Magdalena Freck, but she won it in three sets to give Canada the 1-0 lead and set it up for Leila Fernandez, who came in like a great relief pitcher and cleaned this thing up. She won hers in straight sets. We also won the doubles match. So the, the Canadian women are on to the semifinals of the Billie Jean King Cup with two victories, one over Spain and one over Poland. And Connor Bedard tonight, four-point effort for the Chicago Blackhawks. He's in the lead now for the Calder Trophy, as we all thought he would be. Those fans getting their money's worth, no doubt about it.
All right, you will too, because coming up, uh, we are going to show you Hidden Wonders, the life's work of one of the best musicians or magicians in the world, and it's right here in BC. That's next. Sorry, I had this is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. About it. Okay. Um, let's take another look at the weather here before we go. Five, Dave, you got it, Christy? I sure do. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got another storm on deck for tomorrow, but I think generally during the day it won't be too bad. We'll see the rain develop in the afternoon, but the strongest winds, heaviest rain will be sort of Friday evening, Friday night into the early morning hours on Saturday. Hoping for drier conditions Saturday afternoon, but we still do have a chance of showers. And yes, Saturday will be quite blustery as well. I you see the background with the with the leaves. I don't know if you noticed with the wind today, the leaves were coming down and it's so sad to see, but yeah. it is Coming down, and they are wet and soggy if you're filling a big garden bag with them, no doubt about they it. They hide Good. golf balls. Yeah, that's right. They hide golf balls. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night.